of the Discomfort Zone podcast. The idea to cross the ape man with the Anunnaki. Slaves work animals created for one person to avert the gods. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Discomfort Zone podcast. Sorry about the audio, let me just fix that there. That's better. Uh, welcome, one and all. Welcome uh, Crimson Cloud, Rondon, Alien Honey. Great to see you here. Um, I hope we're starting off okay. As some of you watching the video will notice, I've got uh, a bit of a different setup. Uh, it's, it's still uh, in developmental stages and I'm still working on a background, a new background image. So uh, there's that to look forward to. But uh, for now, I thought this might go a little bit better than the uh, bit of a messy background that there was there before. However, if you're listening to the audio of this, then uh, you probably won't notice any changes at all. So I hope you enjoy it nonetheless. And uh, what an episode we've got this week. Wow. As always, but uh, it's, it's, a, it's a good one. And last week we sort of took a bit of a detour from our usual uh, content of following the book and I felt the need to sort of stress and go into um, the whole concept of sexual energy, what it is, uh, Tantra, etc, etc. And I think it's a, it's a very big topic, we obviously didn't cover all of it, but I think we have enough of a basis now to start talking about the other things that we're going to see. Welcome Neil, great to have you here as well. Um, so let's get right into it. Now, last week I mentioned very briefly um, the two civilizations, lost civilizations, Lemuria and Atlantis. And Atlantis is obviously the more famous one, but Lemuria was uh, chronologically first, according to Drumvalo, and we're going to be talking a little bit about what was happening there. We, we covered a bit of the general story uh, last week in the episode, but uh, we'll, we'll go a little bit deeper in for this, uh, for this time around. And there's, there's something we'll, um, we'll actually get into later on in the episode. But for now, let's talk about Lemuria in general. It's a rather curious concept. I can't remember exactly the first time that I heard of it. Um, I think it might have been Druvalo's book, but I might have heard of it from before. And it's another one of these ideas like the Nephilim, the Anunnaki, like these ancient civilizations that might have been uh, more advanced than us and the attempt or it's sometimes difficult for us to wrap our minds around how can such a different world um, have existed than what we have been taught. You know, the usual chronological prog progression of history is that there's uh, lesser advanced civilizations and they progress over time until we reach who we are today as the sort of pinnacle throughout history. And so the Lemurian civilization was supposedly uh, more advanced than us um, in a certain aspect. And I think it's important to remember with all of these things that we should very we should be very careful about judging and um, trying to relate different types, different energies, different types of consciousness, um, and deciding which is better. Because often the case is always uh, about balance and about finding the proper use for each. Um, and when the time and place is right for it. And so, to put it into a little bit uh, clearer terms with an example, in our civilization today, in the modern era, we see a clear um, 
inclination and even you know a, a real bias towards intellectualism towards uh, the rational uh, left hemisphere um, cognitive thinking uh, all of these you know lo um, logical robotic uh, analytical empirical all of these cold scientific sort of terms and it's clear today that those are the the ruling uh, thought patterns that we have around us in an earlier time in history it seems that quite the opposite was the case and there was much more adherence to mysticism and spirituality and religion and these uh, inexplicable forces that were controlling people's lives and uh, demanded our attention uh, much more back then things like going to church and praying or wherever uh, in order to ward off evil spirits or to find you know favor in god or whatever it was and going back even further so each of these mindsets if we relate it for a moment to what we spoke about with the sacred geometry and the numbers if the first mindset is a mindset of um not rational thinking but intuitive thinking meaning more in tune with our let's say natural state and therefore less uh, intellectual um, and that is more the state of sort of unity than the second type of consciousness that we're experiencing now is that of uh, binary of the sort of separation the categorization that comes along with empiricism and scientific thought and rational thought and each of these types of thinking are important and have their place in the universe uh, along with others and the idea i think um, in general and the way i like to live my life is to find a way to marry these two supposedly we've been told you know opposing uh, ways of thinking and finding when each of them is actually relevant and i think with druvelo's case and with a lot of these um researchers gerald clark and sitchin and michael tellinger and a lot of others they have a very strong keen rational scientific mind for trying to uh, deduct and to really investigate and discover the truth and yet they have a very strong intuition they follow their gut they um, are in tune with their emotions and let them guide and let their you know quote-unquote their heart uh, lead rather than their mind and that I think is the kind of balance that can really lead to an understanding and a greater understanding in the universe so sorry with that being said um, in Druvalo's words and the way that he phrases it and again we're going to remember all of our uh, uh, you know um, the warnings that we stated about classifying as male and female and what we mean by that but in his words the Lemurian civilization was a female uh, civilization so we could say a more intuitive a more spiritual uh, a more emotional etc etc and with this uh, in Druvlo's words this civilization was far more advanced than we are today and so what he says happened was that the human beings who were created by the Nephilim uh, and with that Thoth agrees with Sitchin's uh, theories um, they were taken to this island to develop and this island is a different island which we won't get into now and called uh, Gondwalaland Gondwala sorry hard to pronounce um, and this was where the humans uh, sort of evolved and then they were taken in part when they were evolved enough that they could help in a feeling they were taken to work uh, in the mines and to mine the gold but some of those people were taken to a different island and this island was actually uh, the island of Lemuria and there they were allowed to sort of uh, be free 
and to advance in their spiritual practices, which is what they were really dedicating themselves to as a species in general. And so um, they were far more uh, developed spiritually than us, but I would argue that in a way, although this isn't what Drum, um, what Drumvelo claims, Drumvelo says that it's uh, they were very much more advanced in both ways than us, but uh, I do think that our civilization has taken that logical scientific method further than the Lemurians or the Atlanteans did. Um, they were more focused on the spiritual, uh, you know, ethereal dimensions and that understanding of the universe. Oh, I can see lots of people joined us. Bleepcoin and uh, Gecko, thank you very much for being here. We're talking about Lemuria. We're getting into it a bit more in this episode, so wonderful to have you. Okay, so um, what happened as we sped last uh, episode was that these two people, I and Tia were their names, uh, had this act, this tantric act of, you know, uh, uh, interdimensional intercourse and whatever that may be, as Drumvelo says, there was no physical contact between their bodies. Um, they conceived of a child in that special way and that uh, made all three of them become immortal. And this was the first time that it had ever happened. Um, these people were obviously very advanced spiritually and were well aware of sort of uh, these practices and what they were doing in their bodies and their minds were in a very um, advanced uh, state, let's say. So uh, we shouldn't judge it as just, you know, um, in comparison to people like us. If we look, for example, at certain uh, stories or, you know, fables or uh, myths or whatever we want to call them in India, for example, where the tantric uh, tradition originally uh, came to us, we can see lots of stories that are, are very, very similar. In fact, the whole practice of Tantra is based on the fact that you can reach enlightenment, immortality, moksha, all of these things are technically uh, the same through this uh, uh, sexual practice, through the use of this sexual energy in a very specific way, in a very controlled manner. Um, so this this idea that might sound very, very uh, bizarre, and we spoke about it a lot uh, last week, um, can be a lot more, um, let's say, you know, common among other cultures and especially among more ancient cultures than we are used to today with our rational scientific way of looking at the world. So these people, uh, Tia, Aya, and sorry, I, Tia, and uh, their son, um, had uh, gained this knowledge through their practice and this was the first time that they'd done it and so they decided to attempt to teach others uh, to do the same in order for other people to become uh, immortal, uh, immortals as well. I'm sort of skipping ahead, not skipping ahead, but there was, you know, a long time passed between the first time that they did it and they actually, you know, uh, started to teach. But we're going to skip ahead to when they began teaching because that's the first point that I want to sort of focus on for a minute. And they actually decided to open a school where they could teach uh, these things to uh, the different people. And in fact, the group of people who their first students who uh, studied under them and them uh, included were called, uh, and I hope I'm pronouncing this, the Nakal. I hope that's the correct pronunciation. He says, uh, I would say Macall because of my English accent, but since it's American, I think it's closer to Nakal. Um, but nonetheless, <laughs> N-A-C-A-A-L, if you want to look it up and probably uh, have some pronunciation of it. Um, these people 
the students and the teachers and eventually sort of the practitioners of this uh, uh, spiritual act were basically the first uh, mystery school that was ever started. And this is a very interesting uh, concept that Druvalo will actually uh, talk about in many other places, this idea of mystery schools uh, throughout history that have affected uh, humanity and that have been uh, largely responsible for a lot of the uh, um, events that took place and, and uh, different people in their lives. So it's a curious subject and the thing is that for me personally it was a, uh, a very big part of my uh, research. Oh, Lemuria is your spiritual home. I, uh, there's actually a very strong, yeah, I, I, I completely uh, believe that there's a strong community nowadays of Lemurians, um, people who you know, I'll say claim uh, to be descendants, to have a connection, and there's a, a, a clear resurgence um, in that, which is interesting because before that, um, I think Atlantis was much more common and Lemuria was much lesser known um, a few decades ago even. But now there seems to be a, a strong resurgence. There's communities that live as uh, Lemurians. There are people who go to where they uh, claim that Lemuria was and have uh, rituals there. So it's, it's very interesting. And for Atlantis as well. Um, yeah. that's. Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd love for you to say in chat if you want a little bit about uh, the story. I'm going to continue for now, but I'm reading at the, same, uh, at the same time. I'll try. So in my personal... Uh, journey. I, uh, with all of this and the reason I now am doing this podcast and talking to absolute strangers from across the world about, uh, you know, starting from secret, you know, government programs and ancient uh, aliens and all of these things is, uh, it was a long journey until I actually reached that point. And uh, the beginning of it for me was the um, connection between the economic world that we live in, the economic model that in my mind enslaves humanity uh, in one way or another, and the sort of um, spiritual side, the energetic, the demonic, you know, um, um, as it were, enslavement of humanity um, pertaining to all of the uh, historic traditions, you know, good versus evil and these dark forces lurking in the shadow, etc, etc. And these two worlds seemed very uh, disconnected. And then I, I, finally found, I finally found this sort of connecting link between it all and it, and it all clicked. And it was a very momentous uh, period. I was going very deep into a lot of it. And it had to do with these mystery schools. Um, it was in fact more accurately described as secret societies, but the secret societies were the later development of the mystery schools. And as I began retracing the steps both of the economic system and of these sort of uh, um, stories of um, mysticism throughout history, I found that these secret societies, you know, the, just in case nobody knows what I'm talking about, but like the, uh, uh, the Freemasons or the uh, Golden Dawn or the th um, Theosophical Society, all of these different um, sort of gatherings of people uh, um, to practice spiritual uh, secret practices um, in one way or another came from the original mystery schools. And as you trace through the, the different um, religions and the different cultures, and I think Rondon, if I'm not mistaken, one of the early, early episodes, you, you had a, a picture of all the different religions and I think all the different mystery schools. There's a picture. Anyway, 
if you want to look it up, it'll be pretty easy to find. But seeing that at the center of every religion, there is this uh, mystery, secret teaching um, that was definitely, you know, taught and propagated, but in a much more secretive and non-public uh, way. And so the Judaism, uh, for example, has uh, Kabbalah. Uh, Christianity has the mysticism of Christianity. Um, you know, I go through all, all of it. But basically, if you look through each of these uh, famous religions that on the surface, when they are taught in sort of public masses to the general public, uh, they're not discussing um, a lot of these secret truths that they believe in, that they know. Um, but when you look at these texts and you study each of them, they actually agree on a lot of the subject and agree on a lot of the um, view of the world and how they believe uh, it is, you know, it is. So that whole subject for me was very, very interesting and retracing it back through each of these grand civilizations, you know, the Greeks, they had the Eleusinians and I, I came across that through the use of psychedelics, which was one of the earliest, you know, no one's taught that uh, Socrates and, and Plato and all of the great uh, Greek thinkers of that time uh, took uh, some form of psychedelic uh, as part of the Eleusinian rituals. Um, in fact, I'd never heard of them until I sort of started researching that. And the Egyptian, um, ancient Egypt, the civilization obviously had a very famous mystery school. In fact, there were two sort of uh, joint mystery schools called uh, Horace's left eye and Horace's right eye and we've mentioned it before I believe in one of the episodes in Egypt we'll talk about it more later but we're going to go even further back because as we mentioned the origin um, according to Thoth, according to Drumvillo of all of these different mystery schools was in Lemuria that was the first time that they had started uh, um, a spiritual practice for uh, humanity in general, how to attain enlightenment, how to become immortal through a spiritual practice of one kind or another. And obviously today we can think of many, many more through different cultures. So the, the importance of this, I think, is, is very interesting. And it's a, it might be a little bit difficult to sort of imagine, but one of the things that was very interesting for me when I was uh, reading about this was that the tarot, uh, the tarot cards, which are obviously one of the more famous uh, divination techniques, certainly today, was it, it's a very mysterious um, practice. It came apparently from uh, Romani, not really sure where from or who the Romani are originally, but one of the claims, according to Drunvalo and according to Thoth, is that the images and the archetypes on the uh, tarot cards originated from the, uh, from the mystery school in Lemuria and then from the uh, temple in Atlantis. And so these were the images, these were the sort of archetypal uh, images and uh, concepts that were what those people were meditating on even back then. And it's, 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 I think it's very interesting for those who know nothing about the tarot. Um, I mean, it's very similar to a lot of what Jung uh, mentions, and obviously he talks about them a lot. It's, it's interesting to learn, not even for the practical side of it, but to be aware of archetypes, the different kinds of, you know, um, consciousness and spiritual uh, journeys and different places on our path. Uh, it's it's all I think very very important and interesting for us to get a uh, a clear view of where we are of who we are etc. And so to think that those 
um, same systems or same archetypes were around at least for, you know, some of them for thousands of years, uh, according to mainstream science and according to Drunvalo, tens of thousands of years. Uh, I think it's very interesting to think about where that link um, leads us because those people in Lemuria were certainly a lot more in tune with their spiritual side and their spiritual practices than we seem to be today. So uh, just a thought as we uh, go through this, uh, if you can uh, hold that thought in your mind. But uh, nonetheless, we'll uh, continue with our story of Lemuria. And uh, in it, uh, at this point, there's sort of this uh, tragedy to a certain degree, which is that Lemuria uh, sinks. But because they were um, spiritually aware and, in fact, in Druvalo's words, psychic, uh, they actually knew that Lemuria was going to sink uh, long ahead of time. And therefore, they were able to prepare. Now, between from the time they started the mystery school until Lemuria sank, they had managed to uh, teach and 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 uh, elevate, you know, enlighten um, three hundred and thirty-three families of three, so a thousand people minus the one, but we'll uh, round it up, um, who were all part of this uh, the Nicole, what um, Drunvalo calls the Nicole, this society, this group of people who are, you know, elevated uh, spiritually. And these were the people also who knew and sort of uh, were preparing to leave Lemuria before. And so when it sank, they were ma they were able to uh, uh, go their separate ways. And he mentions a few places that they um, lead to, one of them being South America. And it seems that there is a, a strong connection between an ancient island uh, sinking and various uh, tribes and various cultures around the world, both in South America, in Africa, um, who, whose, whose uh, belief and whose origin stories claim that their civilization was started by people coming on boats from somewhere in the ocean. Um, so it's, it's another one of those curious uh, correlations that we seem to come across again and again. And indeed, if you're interested and you've listened this far, uh, Sitchin in his book um, Ancient Realms, I think Lost Realms, sorry, The Lost Realms um, talks about South America and the civilization that came there. And in his words, uh, specifically the, the civilization that led to the Aztecs were in fact Atlanteans. Um, but uh, Lemuria came first and some of the people went from Lemuria to a different place and they could have return to Atlantis as well. So it's it's uh, not 100%, but there's certainly interesting correlations there as well. But for our uh, story and where Drunvalo uh, leads us, um, we spoke in one of the episodes about uh, the polar shifts and how that we're expecting one soon and the, um, the conscious importance, the energetic importance of the polar shift and where we are uh, in regards to that sort of cycle the procession of the equinox, etc. And when uh, what Druvalo says here is that the reason or sort of the time that uh, Lemuria sank was because there was a polar shift uh, occurring. And in fact, this was the cause of Lemuria sinking and also the cause for Atlantis um, to start rising. So there's an interesting correlation here again, sort of coincidence, and uh, Drunvalo mentions it, and I think it's an interesting case that 
we're talking here, we talked about gods in the last episode, and now we're talking about, you know, immortals and all of these concepts of certainly uh, non-human and to, to some degree sort of elevated uh, uh, beings. And yet, both with the Anunnaki and uh, with Drumvalo and his uh, universe, there is a mention of a sort of um, even higher force. Now, Drumvalo uses the word God. I think the, the um, translation, Sitchin's translation of the Nephilim is uh, creator, um, the, all, the, the creator of all. But there always is this reference to another sort of being that is the, the origin, as it were, that is the you know, be-all and end-all um, of everything. And so it's curious, but again, um, in Drumvalo's words, as the uh, Nicole were, were gaining more followers and more people were reaching um, enlightenment, it seems that they were on a straight path to uh, manage to elevate all of the species and uh, the whole human race to become sort of this elevated uh, spiritual being. Um, and yet, according to, uh, as he says, uh, Druvalo's, um, sorry, according to God's plan, uh, the creator, um, this wasn't to be. And it's not uh, stated what the reason is, but we can see this sort of uh, synergy between all of these events if we take it um, as the story chronologically unfolds that Lemuria gave us a, a thousand people, a head start, a sort of uh, a seed of uh, something and didn't um, allow, as it were, or there wasn't time to continue to convert them all and then Atlantis came around and Atlantis was a different story um, that we'll, we'll get into a little bit now but the, the point I'm trying to make is that there seems to be this grand plan that although as we as we always feel that we know what's going on where we're going uh, what's going to happen time and time again we come across uh, struggles and obstacles and i think maybe this uh, year is certainly a fit example uh, for that just about for everyone um, and it always uh, i think for most people surprises us it catches us off guard we we never imagine we're going to be the ones in a car accident or whatever it is and that seems to be a, a, I mean, I'm not sure if it's a flaw, but it's definitely something that can um, sort of hit us when we're down, as it were, add insult to injury, make it even harder to overcome whatever obstacle there is. Whereas the the remembrance, and this, this seems to be part of the power of faith and part of... Um, I mean, in our society, it's considered faith. I think for the Nicole's or, you know, for any um, spiritual being that experiences life, let's say some of these gurus in India who uh, seem or claim to be uh, elevated spiritually uh, can't experience um, reality any other way. And so for them, when this, uh, when people come and say, you know, this terrible thing has happened to me, I didn't expect it, I don't know how to deal with it, um, it's very strange for them to conceive of something happening to me, of something not being part of a, a much grander scheme where we are definitely parts and we're the center of our own universe. But nonetheless, uh, there's a lot going on uh, all the time. And so I just think that it's an, an interesting point that Drumvalo mentions here and feels the need to mention even the word specifically, God with a capital G, 
that God had other plans, that humanity was not destined to attain enlightenment as a species and to evolve uh, the whole human race together at that point in time. But there was more in store. And as we can see, dozens of thousands of years later again, uh, quite a lot has happened in that time. But nonetheless, um, as we progress through the story, uh, Atlantis was the beginning of a new civilization. And Atlantis really was something uh, very special, and there's a reason that it was so, um, that it's become so famous today. And in fact, as you look through the historical records and, and people investigating Atlantis, there seem to be quite a few. I mean, there's a lot of uh, just treasure hunters and adventurers and people who are drawn to any kind of mystery, but there are researchers and geologists and um, you know, uh, people who really study the science behind it, who have reached some very interesting uh, conclusions and done some research about it. So it's an interesting subject in general. I think much like UFOs or conspiracies, it's easily dismissible, mainly because we have very little contact with it. It's very hard for us to sort of grasp anything about an ancient island that arose suddenly and then sank suddenly and had some civilization on it but um, the people who have taken the time <laughs> to study the texts I mean even the way that it's arrived to us really and truly one of the few pieces of uh, written uh, you know not evidence but history of uh, Atlantis the mention is uh, Plato in his um, I actually can't remember what which book it is I'm afraid no, I can't remember. Uh, if you want to look it up, um, it's pretty easy to find. If you write Plato Atlantis, uh, you'll get it. But Plato mentions that his teacher uh, told him about Atlantis, and his teacher learnt it from a priest in Egypt. And so uh, the priest in Egypt, who once again was uh, part of this mystery school, part of this mystery uh, you know, group of people who were privy to this information was the first uh, mention of uh, Atlantis to a, you know, both Western and just modern and outsider of the mystery school. And this seems to be a, a recurring theme throughout a lot of these uh, mystery practices and historical secret um, teachings that there seems to be this sort of case of one person who's privy to the information, who for some reason the, the god or the hero or whoever it is trusts them and feels the need, sees uh, the urgency in getting this information to later generations. And in fact, spe speaking of uh, Thoth, this is also a uh, recurring theme that he writes uh, in, in quite a few places the, the need for future generations to read this. The, the current generations won't understand and the current generations aren't ready for this information, but in future generations uh, it will become uh, important and apparent. So to think that so much, you know, all of this research and, and books and people, all of these things uh, started at least with one you know, Greek uh, um, philosopher, for lack of a better word, um, who was, you know, getting a third-hand story, which was already, you know, probably mouth, uh, um, word of mouth for tens of thousands of years. So, obviously, uh, unlike 
Sitchin's research, which is all very much based on um, hard evidence of the civilization, not necessarily hard evidence of the Anunnaki, but hard evidence of what the civilization who were here uh, believed. Um, with Atlantis, with all of these stories, it's always going to be uh, less uh, scientific, less uh, physical evidence, since no one, uh, to, to my knowledge, no one has found the actual island of Atlantis uh, yet, but we'll see. In fact, there are a few very interesting theories about it, but uh, we won't get into that now. So, uh, the polar shift basically causes Atlantis to rise from the uh, waters, and the Nicole, um decide to move to Atlantis and to restart their, their civilization, their practice uh, over there. And at this point, they do something which is uh, rather interesting, I think. Um, according to Drunvalo, what they do is they begin to uh, envision the island and to plan out um, the island, geographically speaking, or I should say uh, geometrically speaking. And they model the island on the, uh, the form of the human brain. Now, there are a few pictures that uh, Druvalo adds of some maps. Um, I don't think they're as crucial, and certainly for people listening, uh, it's, it's not important to uh, actually see them. But if you would like to, uh, you can see different representations, and uh, it'll, it'll give you a, a picture of what the islands look like. But for our purposes, all we need to know is that the Nicole felt it was necessary to model the island to model their sort of civilization's place on uh, the human brain. And that means they divided it with one uh, sort of with a wall going down the middle to the length of the island, dividing it to left and right as the two hemispheres, and then another wall dividing it from sort of, you know, top to bottom, uh, those making up the four lobes uh, that we have as part of our brain. And this may seem both, you know, as a lot of things, far-fetched and uh, not quite understandable. Why did they feel the need to model, uh, you know, the island after a human brain? But I think, in my mind at least, this is again an example of form and function, which comes up time and time again because it's a core issue with uh, spirituality. And indeed, if you that this uh, this idea of form and function is one of the most uh, prevalent and uh, easiest to spot uh, tendencies of these mystery schools and of these secret societies. All secret societies that I've come across, at least, have uh, a great um, importance of symbolism. Uh, a great need for the use of symbols to represent uh, secret, hidden truths and uh, uh, spiritual understandings. And the reason for, it, for this is that at the bottom of all of these um, symbols and all of this spiritual practice is the, uh, I don't know what to call it, theory or worldview of sacred geometry. That is not a question of um, sort of defining it in one way or another, but sacred geometry is a part of this um, this reality. And so uh, when it comes to things like spiritual practices, and these are not all spiritual practices, but I'm talking about these secret societies and the ones that have been sort of around for hundreds of years, um, they all <laughs> they all have 
a connection to this uh, sacred geometry perception of uh, reality. And so when we come to uh, judge or to look at any of these places, it's interesting. This is one of the first things I think that I sort of came across. You start noticing it in so many of the things, even the um, the Freemasons uh, logo, as it were, which was rather ridiculous, uh, not ridiculous, but just I didn't understand what it was for many years. Um, once I studied a bit more about the concepts and understood it more, um, it, it became much clearer uh, what the symbol means and represents. And there's a lot of videos out there, and I think that there are a few also that are inaccurate. Um, some people take it a little too far. But there are definitely a lot of good examples of both companies and, you know, certain wealthy families and all of these different uh, symbols having a meaning that is also entrenched in sacred geometry. Um, ALX, thank you very much for joining. I'd, I'd love to hear a little more about your thoughts uh, that it's uh, simplistic. Um, I'm just going to carry on while you type, but uh, please do because we're coming up to the end, so we'll have some time anyway. Um, so, the Nicole uh, decided to construct the island in the shape or in the model of the human brain because they saw the significance of the physical, geographical, you know, location and attributes of the island having a direct correlation to their uh, both spiritual and physical uh, body, for that matter. And the importance of this was, in their mind, the, um, the effect that it will have on the people who are, who are living in that society. And this idea, in some ways, is similar to the idea of feng shui, which there are many different uh, variations of this in different cultures, but feng shui, I think, is the most uh, famous. Uh, feng shui uh, literally, I think, translates as water-air or water-wind. Um, and these are sort of the two energies that move through any space, and these are the energies that you need to um, sort of pay attention to and to uh, guide or allow in order to have uh, the healthiest, as it were, space. And so the idea that the energy and the energetic imprint of a geographic location, which is partly uh, decided based on structure and the different attributes, um, is definitely an important factor for them and for these people. Um, okay. <laughs> oh, that's, I actually, I only read your comment and I didn't see the picture until I came. Uh, yeah, there's a lot uh, uh, going on over there. Um, I, I'm not going to go into any of the uh, visual images, it's just because uh, some people are listening to the audio, and I'm definitely not uh, proficient in actually recognizing any of them. I really uh, suggest for you, if you haven't uh, done it before, to look into it and to see the different uh, shapes, symbols, uh, all of these uh, relations to uh, sacred geometry. It's just a very interesting way of seeing how it is uh, expressed. Um, okay, so I think that's probably a good place to stop. Ah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. so just one more sentence, and then that will be uh, where we'll take a break for now. Um, so we said we divided, they divided the island into the four lobes, uh, top to bottom, left to right, and then in the middle, as it were, of that uh, area, they actually uh, built a physical wall. 
and to his uh, to Drunvalo's words the wall was uh, sort of you couldn't get across they really divided the people who were living in each part and uh, in order to get across you literally had to go you know into the water around the island and the way that it was divided there were actually other islands that were sort of lower down they were part of this but this was the main uh, mainland where the Nicole were actually living just uh, that civilization and in that division of the wall they actually uh, divided um, the people into male and female attributes now again this wasn't uh, men and women uh, this wasn't the the gender based but it was you know as it were uh, energetically based the people who are more connected to the female or to the uh, masculine um, decided to take that route as it were and to function in this quote-unquote brain uh, under that and three people uh, of those were elected to function as the corpus colossum uh, for those who don't know the corpus colossum i'm pretty sure we mentioned it as well is the middle part that uh, connects the two hemispheres left and right together and allows uh, basically the communication between them so there were three people who were designated as it were to function as the corpus colossum of this brain um, and they were allowed to go uh, anywhere they wanted um, according to him so the other people were sort of confined to a certain degree in the designated hemisphere um, whether it was male or female so that's what we have at this point now this might be a little bit of an odd place to uh, uh, stop for this week but next week we're going to be carrying on with the uh, with the story a little bit further I Alex Alex ALX I'm not sure how to pronounce your name uh, I, I'd love to uh, uh, hear your thoughts if you want to uh, elaborate a little bit more but uh, I, I would like to say something before we uh, move forward and uh, we're coming up to the end if you have any questions or anything please let me know that the uh, for <laughs> for a long long time I actually spent uh, most of my arguments saying that uh, it's all geometry basically when you get down to it when you really you know boil it down to what it is it's all about geometry not sacred geometry just uh, geometry uh, form and the function and the you know categorization and the all of the the rest of it comes is derived out of that initial form from you know molecules to humans to galaxies etc now I don't think that that's the only way to uh, view the world definitely um, but it does seem to be a more fundamental one than uh, language based uh, ideas theories concepts all of the uh, different ways that we talk about the world um, a lot of the time they are lacking that physical representation that physical uh, connection with reality which obviously geometry is um, geometry as as I in the first uh, time I spoke about it mentioned geometry isn't a language like the other languages because it doesn't use uh, symbolism it is what its symbols are they are literally uh, geometric as it were and so uh, that's why geometry is uh, unique in that sense among most languages uh, I'm actually I, I bet there are other languages that would be but I can't think of any right now but certainly all of the languages that we know as encoding information all need uh, symbolism of one way or another in order to encode it they can't actually be the encoders except for 
you know, the physical reality that we see, which is uh, shapes and forms. Uh, DNA is not just, you know, a sequence of letters that are printed. It's a sequence of uh, shapes of proteins that are uh, in a certain sequence that derive a certain shape. And that shape is the encoding of the information itself. So we've spoken about it before. But I just wanted to reiterate when we talk about it here that the example of the Nicole's deciding to form this human brain um, is is for them, uh, you know, where they are acting from. As Dunvalo says, it probably would look rather strange to us if we saw them doing this. But uh, the spiritual understanding that they had saw that the there is a clear relationship between the way they live their lives and even you know, the location that they are and their spiritual practices, their civilizations, uh, consciousness as a whole. Uh, and it can be affected by this behavior. And for, for me personally, I feel um, a strong resonance to this idea. I have many uh, sacred buildings that I look forward to uh, building one day in the, <laughs> in the eco-village. But uh, I definitely feel that the environment that you live in and indeed the way that you live so I'll give us a, a small example here because we're slightly off topic but I think it is related um, when we decide for example to go to work and to spend that time in the commute we are spending uh, a certain amount of the day sitting inside the car so we're uh, detached to a certain degree from the outside world and we are going through it at a much higher speed. Um, if we contrast that to uh, walking to work, whatever that may be, but um, the actual act of walking versus the act of driving is very, very different. And it will affect not only um, the actual journey, but indeed our state of consciousness when we get uh, to that place. Now, this might seem all very, very simple and uh, obvious, I hope, because uh, <laughs> that's my point. The, the second step to that would be to say that, yes, our environment as a whole is constantly affecting us. And the fact that we live in square buildings um, has an effect on the energy inside and on our uh, consciousness. The fact that we walk on flat surfaces um, with you know very little to no bumps. I'm talking about we as a general we, but I'm saying you know modern society has decided that the best way to walk is with flat surfaces, and uh, you know the way to uh, go up an inclination is with stairs uh, or with uh, uh, a lift. Um, you know all of these ideas that seem very common and very obvious to us that obviously modernity and and, and uh, the comfort that it affords are, are what uh, we desire are the best thing are the healthiest thing for us uh, these are all you know assumptions and worldviews and I, I think um, it's good for us to uh, hear about these stories and think about this different way of living our lives that the way I sit and slouch in my chair or you know the way I, I, I pick up toys or the way I walk has an effect and indeed uh, literally you know the place that I walk in whether I cross a garden or whether I you know live in a right hemisphere of a brain or, or whatever the circumstances they all have an effect on my on my psyche on myself and my uh, consciousness so that's it I just wanted to give that a short idea 
um, out there. It's a subject that I feel very, very strongly about. I unfortunately uh, don't know enough about it. I am very interested in feng shui. Um, I can't say that I've studied it very closely, but for a while <laughs> I sort of dabbled in it a bit. And it's a very, it's a very curious way of looking at the world. We, we often look at the world through, uh, you know, the various empirical um, measurements that we can sort of have access to: the temperature of a room, um, you know, the colors on the wall, uh, how soundproof it is. These are the elements that will decide whether we, you know, buy a house. Um, and and there is that thought of. Uh, uh, um, what is it airflow through the place but we don't consider uh, energy flow so there's, there's there's no concept of that no realtor in the west uh, talks about it and yet in china um and I, I'm, I'm sure in other places as well this is the most common practice this is obviously part of what you talk about when you talk about the architecture or the place you know where it is etc etc and in, in past obviously they would pay a lot of money for an expert on feng shui to come and uh, you know say what uh, what it is that uh, should be done as it were or you know what's the most uh, energetic place that we can uh, put whatever it is that we're trying to put etc etc so uh, it's it's an interesting concept that we I feel are very far from and for oh I hate brutalist architecture. Where is uh <laughs> yes. It's and it's it really is all over the world. Um that's why for us in fact uh, in, in us I say uh, for my wife and I in the eco village a big part of it is both uh building our own house, designing our own house and for us we also want to have a, a round house. Um, being able to consider these things to, to, to take them into account and to decide what we want and you know how we want to do it and also having the community of people uh, having the eco village members come and uh, take part in building in the building process and to help uh, work on the project because the people in the community are also the ones who you know uh, enjoy or suffer the presence of a house whether it's uh, something pretty to look at or you know I'm sure you've all I have walked uh, you know next to the famous uh, eyesore of a house that the rich person could afford or whatever they did that was out you know stood out in the neighborhood or the, whatever there's always these stories of sort of that uh, that neighbor who ruined it for everyone with the house that they built the extension they made you know the swimming pool they put in and i think we can partly not obviously not fix everything but we've lost that connection that community has with the houses that make up the space that we live in you know who who has taken part in designing uh, our environment um, even if we design the interior of the house or even the you know the house itself very few of us have the opportunity to have any say in the environment around us um, and and for that reason, I think at least partly we really didn't uh, consider it. <laughs> Don't think of it as a loss in any way. It, it's you know why not? There's no, I, I have no reason to get involved. I have no uh, concern about how it's designed. But it it might have an effect that uh, is greater than we think, and it might be an interesting uh, experiment. I I intend to find out. So stick with me. 
uh, and in the future, I'm sure we'll uh, we'll have the uh, results of <laughs> just how important or unimportant it is for us. Um, no, I'm joking, but I, I do think it's uh, it's an interesting subject to consider, especially for us who are very disconnected with all of that and really uh, don't see uh, importance. You know, when we were looking for a house to rent in Jerusalem, I remember we saw some incredible. Uh, places, you know, a house, uh, not a house, but an apartment with no windows, which you really think, how can you, how can you design a house? How can you think about making, it's a box, that's not a house, it's not an apartment, it's not a place that you can live. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm being very uh, uh, judgmental, but I think that nobody would choose, you know, to live in a house with no windows or an apartment. Or, you know, there were different places that were just, they had some where the window just um, opened out to the opposite wall of the building. So you had a window with uh, a wall in front of it. And that's just such an odd choice to make as, a, as an architect, as a designer. It really baffled me at the time. So it's, uh, <laughs> sorry, it's something that I probably spent far too long babbling about. Um, but it's a, it's an interesting concept, I think. Anyway, um, what time is it? Okay, we've got five more minutes. Excellent. I do we have a um, post up? Is it post up? Yes, post up. Do we have post up after this, uh, Rondon? If you uh, know if they're on. Ah, Mariano, I didn't see you. Welcome. Thank you very much for joining. I didn't see that you were here. Um, Yes, so let me know uh, what you think about uh, Lemuria and Atlantis, if you've heard of anything, but uh, it's, uh, it's, it's sort of a curious subject, I think. It's interesting to see what uh, different people have to say. Um, oh, <laughs> yes, I'm lucky that I, uh, I had my uh, first episode last week. We managed to get past the uh, time change. So yeah, there's no post up today, so you'll have to wait for Crimson Clad, right? Crimson Clad, you have a, a show later. Um, yeah, we'll see uh, if that's uh, happening later on. But for now, let's see. Okay. Yeah, so the the subject of uh, Lemuria Atlantis are just uh, you know I think something that. A lot of people have heard about, but uh, not really sure what exactly it was or what we think about it. We'll we'll get into it more. Ah, so Krim has excellent a uh, a show today. Ah, Fire and Rebellion for the fifth of November. Of course, of course. Uh, fixed. Nice. Yes. Happy uh, Happy Guy Fawkes Day today. That's an interesting uh, one as well. Oh, a shame I didn't uh, remember it before. I. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's a. It's. <laughs> Wait, Krim, are you are you from England, or do you just know about uh, the fifth of November because it's now a famous uh, subject around the world? Uh, for those who don't know, the fifth of November is um, commemorating Guy Fawkes, who was an English, uh, well, a freedom fighter and terrorist, depending on which side of the uh, fence you are. Um, who, who planned an attack on Parliament that failed, but if you've seen the uh, anonymous masks in any of the, uh, you know, um, protests around the world become very famous, then those are Guy Fawkes masked. Supposedly uh, model after him, but I actually haven't seen a picture of him. Is that really what he looked like? I don't know. 
Anyway, um, yeah, so the Guy Fawkes uh, character, which was it's just a, an interesting <laughs> one, um, a failed terrorist, as it were, he was remembered at the time as, uh, you know, someone who didn't manage to carry out the plot. But uh, he's seen such a resurgence in these days. So I'm surprised, Krim. Is it, yeah? Do you? How have you? Uh, how did you hear of uh, the fifth of November? Is it also through uh, what's it called? Um, oh, what's that film? V for Vendetta. That's the one. That I think was also one of the things to bring it to uh, famous famousness. Wait, can you hear me in the in the stream? Is it all running? Are we okay? I can't tell. Okay, well, let me know if you can hear me. And if you can't hear me, then I'll assume uh, you don't know. Oh. So that everything seems to be... Uh, oh, nice. Okay, okay, okay. I wasn't sure. Um, oh. I'll have to have a look at that gecko after the uh, after the show. Uh, yeah, there are there are lots. There's I, I can't remember exactly their name. There's a few around the world, I think, but there is a community of people who are now uh, trying to live their life as Lemurians, or, or you know, I'm not uh, not saying they're not uh, claiming to uh, live as Lemurians. In fact, there are many of those sort of uh, um, ancient civilizations that people are now trying to base their lives on and live like. I, uh, it's it's interesting. I personally um, I can't really relate because I've had very little, uh, you know, personal experience of one kind or another to uh, to uh, lead me down that path. Uh, unfortunately, or whatever it is, but uh, that's the case. So I've remained over the years much more interested in uh, collecting as many of these different practices as possible and trying to sort of. Uh, put them together and mix and match and find what uh, works for me. And I think that's, personally, that's uh, what I think people of today should be free to do, to be able to dip their toe, to taste, to see whatever they want to, and to then decide what for them uh, is important and what uh, they feel connected to and uh, what they don't want to have. And I think that would be a, a wonderful world for all of us to live in. Okay. Uh, I think that's the end. Uh, yes, I hope you heard as much of that as you could. I've been on there. Uh, it's been a pleasure. And I'll see you all uh, for next week. Until then, have a good one. <laughs>